Hey, we are in our last week of this series we've been doing over summer called Your Biggest Questions. And we're going to do something a little different today. Because it's the last week, um, I'm going to do a shorter sermon today. So maybe about 20 minutes or so. And then we're going to take about 15, 20 minutes and do Q&A open Q&A. So we've actually got a phone number up here on the screen that you can text in your questions. You can text them in during the service. If something comes to mind, you can text it in after, like actual during the Q&A portion. And I've got my phone here and I'm just going to start reading and Pofo and I are going to come up on stage and do our best to answer questions. So I thought that'd be a great way to finish up the Your Biggest Questions with a bunch of questions. So, but, so that's what we're going to do. So it's a little shorter of a sermon. It's a little more packed. Um, I hit, I'm going to hit a few things, but pretty, pretty lightly because I, I want to leave us lots of time for Q&A at the end. Okay? But don't worry, I'm not going to shortchange any of us on this one. Because this is a tough question. Is Jesus really the only way to heaven? Is Jesus really the only way to heaven? So this is an example of a question that's not really a question. This is an objection masquerading as a question. Really what this says is Jesus is not the only way to heaven. This is an objection masquerading as a question. And it's a hard one. It's a hard one and it's a very real objection. Um, I first heard this one. I was 16 years old, brand new Christian. I've been a Christian only a matter of months brand new Christian, 16 years old, and a family member sat down, who was not a Christian, sat me down and said, you know, um, I, I want to tell you some things about religion. Well, one, for instance, that religion is a lot like three blind men walking up to an elephant. And one walks up to the tail and feels the, feels the tail and says, this thing, this animal is like a snake. Another blind man walks up to the legs and feels the legs and says, no, 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 no. This thing is like a tree trunk. And then another blind man walks up to the side of the elephant and feels it and says, no, no, no. This is like a wall. And, and the, my, this family member proceeded to tell me, he said, religions are a lot like those blind men. All of them are trying to understand God, but no one religion can fully see God. So that was the first thing that he told me. The next thing that he, that he said, he said that religions are all like paths going up a mountain. There are many paths around the mountain, but they all lead up to the top, kind of like this ski map here. And so all religions are on different paths. There's no right path or wrong path because they all lead up to God. Well, here I am, a 16-year-old, brand-new Christian, hearing these things from someone that knew a whole lot of stuff, and I didn't know what to do with these because it sure sounded like, this doesn't sound like the stuff they teach in church. This sounds really different. And, and they kept pressing, and I kept trying to understand, and I, they kept pressing, and I got so troubled, I actually ran out of the house. I ran out of the house crying. I jumped into my car, and I drove to church. And I'd only been attending church a few months now. And I drove and I, I sat down outside the church because I didn't know where else to go. Because this was so distressing and so troubling. And I sat down there and just imagine this little 16-year-old Greg kind of crying in a heap. 
And thankfully, my youth pastor was around, and he happened to walk by and see me out there, and we sat down, and we talked, and we cried, and we laughed, and we prayed, and and I felt a lot better after our time together. Um, But this question has left an indelible mark in me because it's an important question. And I wish I knew then what I know now about how to talk to someone about these, these metaphors. Um, and so, so it was, it's a hard, it's a real hard question, especially if you're the one being asked and you don't quite know what to say. But it's especially harder if you're the one asking it. And maybe you're the one asking Is Jesus really the only way to heaven? Surely every other religion can't be wrong. How could Jesus make such an exclusive claim to truth? And maybe you're the one asking that today, that you're walking in here, and maybe church isn't quite your scene, and you've got some objections to Christianity, and maybe this is one of them. This, This isn't so much an intellectual question as it is an emotional question. It's kind of part head, part heart. So wherever you're coming in, maybe for you, you've been asked that question. And maybe you knew how to answer. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you ended up storming out of the conversation in tears because you didn't know how to answer like little 16-year-old Greg. Um, but, But maybe you're the one asking the question. So wherever you're at with this question, we're gonna talk about it today. And rather than talking about the question, because remember, I believe this is, really isn't a question. This is an objection masquerading as a question. So instead of talking about the question, let's talk about the objections. And so I found there were three big objections. There are a lot of objections that fall under this. Is Jesus really the only way to go to heaven? And so I picked three of them to talk about today. Talk really briefly about each one of them. So first is the objection that all religions are the same. All religions are the same. Another objection is it's arrogant for Christians to claim exclusive truth. That it's arrogant to claim exclusive truth. And then the third is, what about the person who's never heard of Jesus? What about the person who's never heard of Jesus? So we're gonna hit these three questions pretty quickly as we go through, and then, then if you're really into the, throw it into the Q&A, and I could talk some more on any one of them. But let's start with the objection of all religions are the same. This, this is the objection of those two metaphors that I shared earlier. This idea that all, that all paths lead to God, or that all religions are like blind man feeling different parts of an elephant. Okay? And so this is, this is the statement that all religions are fundamentally the same. Now, yes, while it is true that many world religions share some common traits and some common teachings, you can find the teaching to love one another in almost every world religion. Um, But the reality is the majority of religious beliefs across the globe are radically different. So the truth is this statement that all religions are the same, this could not be more untrue. It's kind of like saying 10% is the same and 90% is different, so I'm gonna say they're the same. (laughs) That's just not true, okay? Little snippet, little snippet, here you go, okay? Christianity teaches that Jesus is the Messiah, 
Judaism radically opposes the notion that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Completely, completely opposite, irreconcilable difference. Okay? Uh, take Christianity and Judaism. Both describe God in the sense of a person. Buddhism does not describe divine d divinity as personhood. In fact, that is completely against Buddhist teachings. Similarly, uh, Hinduism, uh, Hindus are polytheistic. Christians and Jews are, are strongly monotheistic. And uh, Judaism does not believe in a, in a Trinitarian God. Christianity does. I mean, that's just, that's just a couple minutes of it, four differences. I could spend the next hour telling you the radical, not just small differences, but the radical differences between religions. Okay? Now, okay, still not convinced? I'll ask one simple question. Are Christianity and shamanism the same? <laughs> no. Like, nobody would ever say that, that Christianity and shamanism are the same. That'd be a ludicrous statement. They could not be more different. And while shamanism is not considered one of the, one of the five, six major world religions, it's still a major world religion to the Hmong community. So, I mean, as, as good as this sounds, it's just not true. It is completely not true. That, that religions are far more different than they are even remotely similar. Now, what about, what about the blind men? What about this idea that all the religions get it wrong? All the religions are a little bit wrong. If that's true, if, this, if the blind men and the elephant metaphor was true, then wouldn't my wrong be just as valid as your wrong? How could somebody else's view be more valid than mine? And that's the fundamental flaw of the blind man and the elephant. In, that, in that, that, that metaphor, there's a narrator who's not blind. Who's the narrator? Who is this magical, mystical person who is not blind while every practitioner of a world religion is blind? It's the fundamental flaw to that metaphor. It, it breaks down. It doesn't work. And so that this, this claim that all religions are the same, it's just not true. It could not, and I mean, you have to spend 30 minutes studying world religions, and you'll very quickly see it doesn't hold any water. Okay, so that's the first objection, very common objection. A second very common objection is it's arrogant for Christians to claim exclusive truth, that it's arrogant, okay? Now, this one, sadly, is actually even a worse argument than the first one. Okay? And here it is. How, you guys watching the Olympics, Usain Bolt just destroyed everybody again. Okay? So Usain Bolt ran a 9.81 100-meter race. Is it arrogant to say that his time of 9.81 was faster than the next guy's time of 9.82? Is it arrogant to say that? No. Nobody would say that a time is arrogant because it's faster than another time. The reason for that is the time that Usain Bolt got in the Olympics is a matter of objective reality. 
There's nothing subjective about that. It's, it's, not, like, it's not like the gymnastics who got, they, they should have gotten a 10 or whatever the new sc- scoring system is with those. I, don't fo- I can't follow those guys. A 16.4 pi, whatever, okay? So it's not like that. It's an objective reality. It is a truth. It is an objective truth. Objective truth cannot be arrogant. Now, a person can be arrogant. Now, if Usain Bolt went up and, like, after he, after he won, he beat everyone, and then he started teasing everybody, that would be arrogant. But at least everything that I see about him, he sounds like a pretty cool, funny guy. So he does not come across as arrogant. But an objective truth cannot be arrogant. That's not how t- reality works. It's not like gravity. Can you say gravity is arrogant because it pulls everything down to the earth? No. <laughs> Again, it's, it's a really weak argument because what it confuses is a statement of objective truth with the people who make that statement. And I'll be the first one to tell you that some of the most arrogant people I've ever known in my life are Christians. And that is a horrible flaw of Western Christianity and even to an extent global Christianity. Is that because someone holds a truth in place. Therefore, there is this assumption in some that we can be jerks about it. And unfortunately, you probably all know some Christian jerks. Now, people can be arrogant, but a statement of truth cannot be arrogant. Now, the difference is, because there's an underlying statement in this objection, there is no objective truth. So that any person who makes objective truth, therefore, is arrogant because there is no subjective truth. So so if if you kind of feel this way, that it's arrogant for Christians to claim that they have the way to heaven and everyone else is wrong, really what you have to own up to is that there is an assumption to this. And the assumption is that no one person or group or religion has truth has objective truth. Everybody's is subjective. And now if you go down that rabbit hole, there's a very dangerous conclusion. What that means is your subjective truth is just as valid as my subjective truth, which is just as valid as a Klansman's objective truth subjective truth, excuse me, just as, just as valid as a racist's subjective truth. Morality becomes very difficult to defend if you believe that there is no objective truth. You really start having to do some lo- logical gymnastics to pull off f- forcing one morality over another if you believe there is no objective truth. And Christianity does believe that there is objective truth. And the other reality is, you know, every world religion states this. It's not just Christianity. Christians are probably some of the more arrogant ones. I don't hear many people talking about that arrogant Buddhist monk. Okay? (laughs) But I've heard plenty of people, and I've lived them myself, of kind of that arrogant Christian. So I believe this critique, this objection isn't really about the claim that Jesus is the only way to heaven. 
This is really a claim against the church, the people who are supposed to belong to Jesus. Now, with that, is it a valid claim? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's a very valid claim against some Christians that they are arrogant. But it's a terrible argument against Jesus being the only way to heaven. Okay? Let, let's hit our third one. Our third one. What about the person who's never heard of Jesus? What about the person who's never heard of Jesus? Now, this, this is a good objection. Out of these three, I actually think this is probably the best objection. Because the answer is, I don't know. The Bible doesn't answer it. Okay? So you want a good objection? Here's a good objection. Okay? However, simply because the Bible doesn't answer it, that doesn't mean there's not some wisdom that we could discern from Scripture. So here are a couple things that I know, okay? So first and foremost, I want to repeat this, that the Bible does not directly answer this question. So my answer is going to be I don't know. But here are some things that I do know, okay? First, if God were to choose to save only the people who have heard of Jesus and made a decision to follow him and believe and obey him, if God made that decision, he can because he's God. And none of us deserve to be saved anyway. We kind of get this feeling like we deserve to be saved. None of us. Nobody deserves to be saved. So the fact that Jesus or God would save anybody is a miracle into itself. And what, whomever God would choose to save that is God's choice because he is God. We are not. And that's one of the themes you've heard through this series is this question. And that's a horrible answer. It's one of the most unsatisfying answers around. But to simply hear because God is God, he can make that decision. Okay? Secondly, um, if, if you were to ask me directly, um, my answer would be what Scripture says is it's the, only those who believe, claim on the name of Jesus Christ who are saved. That's what Scripture says. So is, does that mean it is possible that someone who has never heard of Jesus has never had a chance to be saved? Yeah, that is possible. Does that feel unfair? Yeah, it feels unfair. Is it? I'm not God. It feels unfair to me as a human, but I'm not God, okay? But there is a little bit of wisdom, and where I've landed, where I, I believe that, and actually, no, I should say, I hope that somewhere in God's bigger than we will ever be thinking, he has a plan in place for this. There are a couple of very interesting scriptures uh, in the Bible. First is in Romans 1, um, uh, verse 20. Uh, the Paul, the, Paul talks about people that, that God is actually in nature. God has revealed himself in our natural world. So that's one thing that's said. Another thing in Ecclesiastes 3.11, uh, it says that God has put eternity in the human heart. Okay? So that means that every person alive has some access to the knowledge of God. I don't entirely know what having eternity in our hearts means, but it means that somewhere in every person is something bigger than our mortal selves. And also that God has revealed himself in the world around us. 
So I do believe, I do believe that something will happen as a part of God's judgment in the final days where he will evaluate those who have never heard of Jesus based on what they have experienced and heard of, of God's presence in nature and in their own heart. Okay? I'll give you one example. Abraham. You've been around church, you might have heard of good old Father Abraham. He, he was the, the father of the, the Jewish faith, the Jewish uh, people. He never knew Jesus. So here's a man who lived in the Old Testament a couple thousand years before Jesus. And somehow, here's a person whose faith in God and trust in God still saved him. So here's the thing, you, you want to like hurt your brain a little bit? When Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, he also died on the cross to forgive people who were born 2,000 years prior to him, like Abraham, of his sins. I, I'm glad God works that out because I, I can't even begin to comprehend that. Okay? But there's, there's a precedent here of the faithful men and women of the Old Testament who are saved without ever knowing Jesus. How that'll work, I don't know. I can't even begin to imagine it. But there is some precedent for people who follow God as God has revealed himself to them. Now, the one asterisk, I'm going to put a big gigantic asterisk on this. This does not mean that someone, uh, someone let's say a Zen Buddhist, who believes that God, Yahweh God, has revealed himself through the principles of the Buddha and follows those well and, and perfectly, that then that means that that person is saved through the same God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's not what I'm saying. But I do believe there is, this, there is a possibility that God has a strategy for this. But you know, if he doesn't, I have to be okay with that because he's God and I'm not. So those are three big objections, three really common objections that come out. Um, and now we have to face this question of, is Jesus really the only way to heaven? And, and this question of, does the Bible really teach this? And the answer is yes, it does. You can't get around this. You cannot be a believer in Scripture, in the Bible, and say that the Bible does not teach an exclusive path to heaven. Jesus said it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The apostle Peter, the first leader of the church after Jesus' death, Peter said it. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind uh, by which we may be saved. Right? If that's not enough, God himself in the Old Testament foreshadowed, prophesied Jesus coming, and God himself said it through Isaiah. And he said, there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. And those are just the three where it is explicitly said. I could give you a multitude of references 
where the Bible does claim that it is that there is an exclusive path to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for you? What does this mean for you? Well, Jesus does claim an exclusive path or way to God. He unapologetically claims exclusivity. And just like he claims exclusiveness in truth, he claims exclusiveness in your heart. Jesus claims exclusiveness in your heart, which means there are no other gods that he allows to be in your hearts. There are no other ways you can be saved, no matter what kind of ways you're trying to save yourself. Jesus does not allow them. He does not permit them as ways to save yourself. Because Jesus says, I am the only way to God. And that's the reality. That just like Jesus claims an exclusive truth, He claims an exclusive place in your hearts. And he desires that. He wants that. And the best hope and the best healing comes when Jesus has an exclusive place in your heart. So the answer to this question is yes. Jesus really is the only way to heaven. As horrible as that might sound to some of you, That's what the Bible says, and that's what I'm going to believe. And so there you go. That that kind of is a wrap-up of the sermon, so let's do some Q&A. So if you you want to do some Q&A, phone numbers can be up on the screen. I'll start pulling up, and we'll start getting some answers here. So Pofo's going to come join me. Uh, Yeah, so this can be any question. Just text it to that phone number. That's the River Life phone number. Text your questions, and they'll start showing up here. And I'll actually turn my phone on so we can start hearing things. So go for it. Um, now, I will say, like, we're no Ravi Zacharias or, like, John Piper or anything. So, so if you want to play Stump the Pastor, that's going to be a very short, easy game to play. <laughs> Trust me. So we'll just awkwardly stand up here until the first one comes in. So how you doing? Okay. Not often I get to cuddle up on stage here. <laughs> so, yeah, so any question, it doesn't have to be connected or related to the series. We'll give our best shot on anything about faith and Christianity that you might have. These are anonymous, so we won't read off your phone number. Yes. So don't worry. <laughs> Be like, dude, Kenny, you asked that? Woo! (laughs) I guess I should confirm that I should, I'm actually getting these here. It should be. (laughs) Let's let's double check this. Let's find the, okay, yep, here we go. Oh, oh yeah, now, now, we just got like seven right away, okay. So here you go. I'm going to float this one to Pafoa. Um, Backstreet Boys in sync or Boys to Men? None of the above. <laughs> Journey, right there. Okay. 
Um, what's the difference between those who have the law written on their hearts but aren't really believers and Christians who don't have the law? Who will go to heaven? Nice. That's a, okay, so I think the whole book of Romans is where Paul talks about the law and freedom in Christ. So if you're comparing people who follow the law or have the law written on their hearts and those who, who don't? do not, who but do are not. really... But, uh, but are Christians but don't have the law? Okay, that's, that's a trick question. It actually is, yeah. Uh, the answer is both, because <laughs> Christians believe that Jesus fulfilled the law so that God would not punish us so that we could go to heaven. So therefore, when we believe in Jesus, in a sense, the law has been fulfilled through Jesus on our behalf. But if you follow Jesus you also follow what God has told us to do, which in a way is also having the law on our hearts. So it's hard to be a Christian and say, I follow Jesus, but I'm not going to obey God. I mean, those two don't really go together. So I would say yes and yes. Yeah. Okay. I'll take this one and then, then hand over the next one to you. Okay. What are your views on abortion rights as Christians? Sure. Throw me the softball there. Okay. So here's the thing. Okay. Life is precious to God's eyes, absolutely precious. It is one of the unique characteristics of Christianity. The value of human life is unmeasurable. And as a result, to take a human life is no small matter. Now, in the Old Testament, the Bible does differentiate between murder and killing. That's a whole other question, okay? But to understand, to take a life is no small matter. In fact, that as much death as God himself caused, it, as you read through the Old Testament, it is still an ab abhorrent thing to him. So as a result, the choice, and I won't speak to abortion rights as much, but I will say the choice to abort a pregnancy, that is not a decision that aligns with how God values life. Okay, so that's one part to it. I think another part to it is I've only firsthand known, and before I can maybe speak a little bit more, but I've only firsthand known a few people who have gotten abortions, and I've yet to meet a person who comes out of that decision unscathed and unscarred. It is, it is a traumatic decision, and I, I, I've known uh, one, one I can think of where that decision has stayed with them for a long, long time. So that, that is, it, is a, it is a tragedy to lose a child to that type of choice. Now, whether you'd want to vote for it or not, I'm going to leave that up to you. I'm not here to tell you how to vote. Um, but I can say that, that the choice to abort a child is, is outside and it is going against God's extremely high view of the value of life. As, as creations of God, we are created by God, and every person is created in the image of God. And that's one thing that Genesis says very clearly, that humans, we are very different than all other creation. We are much more special to God's eyes. Anything yeah, and I add? would just add to that that um, for those who have experienced an abortion, it is not the unforgivable sin. Yeah, absolutely. That God forgives. Um, and for us as Christians, and for, for people who, who fight against it and then will blow up 
buildings where people do perform abortions, that goes against what you believe in. If you believe life is precious, you should not take a life. Um, so that's just my thought against yeah. those who would be really militant about it. So if you love life, love people who have aborted and help them bring life instead of, instead of hurting them as well. That's what yep, I would say. Absolutely. I'll let you take this one. How do you live as a Christian when my family is traditional? Okay. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's kind of what the first century church had to learn to do because everyone around them was different from them. And I would say that for you, if you, everyone around you is, is not following the same religion or not following Jesus the way you do, then you have to show them the love of God rather than the militant, I'm going to do it my way. Because Jesus, I mean, at the core of everything Jesus taught, he said that we need to love others. And so how do you live out your faith in a way that loves and honors your father and your mother and the people around you, your relatives? Um, it means you still have to stand up for what you believe. So maybe you don't do the rituals that your family does, but can you help them out? Sure you can. It means that you don't obey everything your parents say, but can you still love them and stay with them? Yes. And will it mean that you will be persecuted? Most definitely. Uh, you have to live with that persecution, and you have to turn the other cheek. Um, if you want an example of that, just, just watch the way Jesus, uh, that final week when he was being, you know, he was going to the cross for us. He was persecuted at every turn, and he promised us the same thing, that if we live according to him and we follow him, you will see trouble in this world. There will be persecution. Uh, and for whoever asked that, if you're living that, I would love to pray with you, so come and meet me afterwards. Okay, I guess I'll take this one. I hear a lot about uh, men are leaders in the relationship. Uh, they are the head of the household. Is crash Christianity a male-dominant religion? Okay. Historically speaking, Christianity has been dominated by men. I do not believe that as God has taught that Christianity is a male-dominated religion. If you look at Christianity in Scripture, and if you look at Jesus in Scripture for his time, and even, and this is the part that for, for churchgoers you might even hurt your mind, even in the Old Testament law, okay, which often is portrayed as very anti-women, that for its time, the Bible, the New Testament, or the Jewish Tanakh, or what we call the Old Testament, was one of the most pro-women documents in existence. Jesus was so radically pro-women, unlike any other world religion leader, completely different than his time. And so it's very unfortunate that an experience that God taught, that Jesus lived, and even some of them parts of the Old Testament that really sought to protect women when women had no protection, when you understand some of the laws in that sense, you can actually see that some of the Old Testament was actually very pro-women. And unfortunately, and Christianity stayed very pro-women for a few hundred years, but unfortunately when Constantine in, in, in the 300s merged Christianity with kingship and rulership, which was male, then Christianity started to change. And Christianity became male-dominated and has 
even to this day. There is plenty of Christianity around the U.S. that is very, very male-dominated. I personally, as a pastor of Real Life, do not agree with that. There's a reason she's up here with me. There's a reason she preaches. There's a reason we have women in significant roles all throughout this church. Because I do not believe what God intended for Christianity to be a male-dominated religion. I believe that that is sin. And that is the sin on the hands of the men here, not the women. Let's see what's next. Okay. Let's do... Um, what if you don't go to church but believe in God? Okay. What if you don't go to church but believe in God? And I guess the implication, kind of the second half of this question is like, will you still go to heaven? It's not there, but I'm, I'm assuming that's kind of what the rest of this question is. So first to understand, how do you get to heaven? You get to heaven by believing and obeying Jesus Christ, period. It's not Jesus Christ and baptism. Jesus Christ and church, okay? So can you get to heaven by believing fully and obeying fully Jesus Christ and never stepping foot in the church? Yes, you can. But... And this is a big, gigantic, Nicki Minaj-sized butt. <laughs> okay? The likelihood of that happening is almost as statistically close to zero as you can get. I have yet to ever meet a Christian who can separate themselves from the church and thrive in their faith. The reason is because God didn't create us that way. God created a fundamental component of the Christian life is to be a part of Christian community. And without that, you lose it. It's making chocolate chip cookies without chocolate chips. Can you make cookies? Yeah, they're, they're not going to be very good. <laughs> but you can make the cookies. Similar to the Christian faith, it cannot thrive successfully. I haven't seen it happen without being a part of the Christian community because that's how God created us to be. Yes, if you think about the Bible calls us sheep and a sheep that is separated from the herd is very vulnerable to being attacked and, and killed. So that's why we need the body of Christ. And when, we'll just put a plug in for our September series, which is Why Church? And we're going to take a whole month to talk about What's the importance of belonging to a church? What do you get out of church? Why should you even come to church? Uh, what's church all about? So whoever asked good, that, good September. Plug. There you go. Okay, here you go. How does a Hmong man respect the expectations placed on him by both his parents and God? Um, this is sort of a version of how can I honor my parents and follow God? Um, and, and honestly, I think the answer to this is going to be similar for guys and girls. I'm going to let you take this one, since I am not a Hmong man. Me neither. <laughs> yeah, you are, you're a little closer, though. <laughs> okay, I'm going to guess that that question is more about how can I save face and be the strong leader of my house as my clan leaders expect me to be, because I'm the man, um, and still follow God. And I would say those two are not contradictory, because... You, Part of being a strong father, husband, leader in your house is that you lay your life down and you love your family and you sacrifice for them. And I'm not sure that your Hmong parents would object to you 
sacrificing for your family. Now, I'm going to guess that what they object to is the way you treat your wife and your children, that they want you to be harsher with them and that they want you to have the final word. And maybe they don't respect you if you respect your wife too much or you um, let your children, as they grow up, make some of the decisions. And then your parents may have differences with you in the way you are a husband, in the way that you are a, a father. Uh, and I would say that if your parents are Christian, you have the opportunity to share with them, this is how a godly man leads his family. If they're not Christian, this is where you can say to them, this is how a godly man leads his family. And because I don't ascribe to your religion anymore, I won't love my family the way you want me to. Um, so in many ways, when you stand up to your parents, you are being that strong man that they want you to be, and then they're going to be upset about it. So I think either way you're going to lose that argument if they don't like the way that you love your family or stand up to them because you don't, you don't agree with them. So just, just follow what God tells you to do and leave the consequences to him. Okay, how about this one? Um, is, is there anywhere in the Bible where God condones premarital sex? Now, ironically, there's actually very little premarital sex in the Bible. In fact, I'm trying to kind of run through my head. I can't think of an ex example of premarital sex. Now, there is a whole lot of sex outside of marriage in Scripture. And every time that story is told, it is told in a negative light. Um, you would be hard-pressed. In fact, I, I would be interested in anyone who could find a positive example in Scripture where sex is used outside the, the context of marriage and outside the purpose of sex, of bringing a husband together, husband and wife together as one. Outside that role and outside that purpose, you, you, you will not be able to find a positive portrayal of sex in all of Scripture outside the, that role of marriage and the purpose of bringing together a husband and wife together. So, yeah, it's just not in there. And, and if you ask this and you know it, I would love to hear from you because, man, this, I would be fascinated to hear that story. Okay, how about... Um, uh, how long have you, uh, here we go, how long have you both been Christians? I accepted Christ as a 16-year-old. I grew up in a non-Christian household. Um, I went to church maybe a half a dozen of the times up before 16 years. I, I attended a Bible study at the invitation of a friend of mine, and I accepted Christ. I decided to be a Christian that night, that what I experienced there affected me so profoundly. I decided that I wanted the rest of my life to be following this thing they called God. So I was 16. Um, I don't have a moment where I said, okay, I accept Christ. Uh, because ever since I was little, I was born into a Christian home. And ever since I was little, I, was, I felt the presence of God. I was talking to him. I believed in him. So if I had to pinpoint, I would say I was probably four or five when I really understood that I have a relationship with God. Um, but I got baptized when I was... 14 at flu um, because then I could make a decision and know but I would probably say four or five years old oh. I was still like eating dirt at four and five years old 
Okay. If Abraham hadn't met Jesus and Jesus died and forgave everyone's sins who came before Christ's birth on earth, did Jesus forgive everyone, including the Gentiles who never met Jesus? Okay, this is a great question because this starts to get into some really heavy theology. Yes. Can I? Thanks. Okay, yeah, go for it. <laughs> so when Jesus says, I am the only way, it's, we're, in our minds, we're thinking time-wise, but if God says the only way that I can let human beings back into my presence is if Jesus dies for them, then, then Jesus did die for them. So it doesn't matter where you live in history compared to where, when Jesus died. I kind of see it as if, if Jesus is the only way, then it does, it, he's the, he is how human beings can get back to God and human beings of any time, anywhere. So even for Abraham, the only way that Abraham was able to actually have a relationship with God is that God knew through Jesus that Jesus would pay for all of Abraham's sins. So yeah. I think we're limited by time, but God is not. And, and, and if you follow theologians, if you follow the Pipers and stuff of the world, that, that they'll talk about limited atonement versus universal atonement. That's what this question is getting at. And here's sort of the layman's answer. That Jesus' death on the cross provided forgiveness for everyone, but not everyone will choose to receive that forgiveness. That's kind of the simplified version of it. And so the story of the, uh, the question of a Gentile, how would a Gentile come to Christ? The story of Rahab, who was a Gentile, but the Jews came into her land, and the whole marching around Jericho, her whole, everybody in her, her people were going to die, but she believed that, they, that the Israelites served the true God. And because she believed, she and her family were saved. Was she the only one in that whole town that could have been saved? No. Other people could have repented and said, hey, I think your God's better than my God. I'm, I'm going to follow your God. And they could have been saved too. Okay, we'll do a few more one, and, and Johan, we'll cut that last song. We'll take a couple more questions and then, and then wrap up, because I, I got like easily a dozen more that we're not even going to get to. So here you go. How do I know, how do I know I found the right church? How do I know I found the right church? My simple answer to that, and this is what I've said to pe people over and over again, is are you growing in your relationship with Christ? I understand church attendance, particularly in a Hmong community, is not as simple as that. It's much simpler, like in McGough folks, where we, you just go where you grow, and if you don't like it, you leave. Okay? I know it's, it's much more complex, but I would still say the most straightforward, simplest answer is are you growing in your relationship with Christ? Are you being fed? Are you becoming more like Christ? Less sin in your life, more Jesus in your life. All of that. If that's happening in the church you're at, then you're probably at the right church. There may be times in your life where God called you to go to a church so that you can be church for somebody else. Because the church is not somewhere you go to. The church is the people, and you are part of that. So there may be times where God calls you to a, a building where people meet, that's called a church too. And somebody there needs you to be church to them. And it's not just about you getting, but it's also about you giving and, and other people receiving from you as part of the body of Christ. So there, you, you might be at a church that you feel like you're not receiving, but you're there because you're supposed to be the one giving and that other people can receive from you. 
Okay, so there are, there are a couple more doozies here. So here we go. Is everything predestined? Yes, to God. In God's economy, in God's timelines, remember, God sits outside of timelines. So I don't know how it is that God is able to see every minute of every day of every year all at once. But that's what he does. And as a result, to God, everything is predestined. Everything that will, has ever happened and will ever happen, he can see all at once. We can't. So to God, yes, it is predestined. That's why there are plenty of scriptures that talk about this foreordained, this predestined concept. However, we on earth do not see all time all at once. So to us, in our limited, restricted, temporal um, life, we have free will because we do not live in the same plane of existence as God. So really this whole argument of predestination versus free will, in my, in my book, it's like you're arguing apples and oranges because both exist. It depends on the perspective from which you're looking. Are you looking from God's perspective? Predestination. Are you looking from a human perspective? Free will. They both exist. Okay, and, and I'll, I'll give you this one to you, uh, and then we'll go, we'll close up on what, uh, one last one. Oh, where? Oh, how can you tell if someone is either spiritually or psychologically ill? Okay. <laughs> um, the, I, I believe that there are components of spirituality in everything we do. So even if your body is sick, there's probably a spiritual component to it. So, and if somebody is psychologically or mentally ill, I believe there's a spiritual component to it. And healing then needs to address both. Both. Not just one or the other, but both. So I'm, I'm a healer. You know, I'm a mental health provider. I'm a marriage and family therapist who believes that people need healing in their thinking, in their behaviors. Um, but they also need healing in the spiritual realm. So just because somebody now is better, let's say they have schizophrenia, which is uh, biological as well as psychological, I think that once you've had that illness, there's a spiritual component that even when you're taking medication and your symptoms are gone, there's still a spiritual component in which you need healing. So the answer is both. Good answer. So and we'll close on this. How should we best pre pre prepare ourselves and others for the end times? Okay. There is a lot of debate about what the end times are going to really be like. But there is one thing among the Christian church that has never been under debate. That every one of us will stand before God and be judged on what we did with the person of Jesus Christ. Did we believe who he was? Did we obey? Did we follow? And we will, we will be judged. So no matter whether you're pre-tribulation, a-trib, post-trib, whatever, pan-trib, whatever you are, pre-millennial, all of that, there's one thing that is absolutely true. There will come a day where every one of us will stand before God, and he is not going to ask what church you went to. He is not going to ask how much you volunteered. He was not going to, he's not going to ask how good of a son or daughter you were or how hard you tried to be good. All of those questions will be irrelevant. 
he will ask one question. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And how you answer that question will dictate where your eternal self goes. And there is a place, of an eternal place of joy and peace and bliss and presence with God. Unlike anything we've ever experienced here on earth. Then there is a place that is separation from God. Unlike anything we've experienced here on earth. And all the horror that can go along with that. And how you answer that question of who is Jesus Christ to you will dictate where you go at that judgment. Whether it'll happen before a thousand years, after a thousand years, before the reign of Christ, after the reign of Christ, blah, 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 okay? Let's put all that aside. And that's, that's why we talk about Jesus so often around here. Because that is the question that matters. So to answer this question, of how do we prepare ourselves for the end times? You believe and call on the name of Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And if you've done that, then you live your life with that urgency that there are many others who haven't met Jesus, and you will use your earthly riches, you will use the time that God has given to you. You won't squander it, but you will use it to reach as many people as possible. And that's how we prepare. That's how we live with the end times in mind. Not like storing up water and food in your basement, but in going out into the world and loving people and telling them who, who Jesus is so that they too will meet him and in the final days they can stand before God and say that they believe in Jesus. Yeah. So with that, I apologize. There are easily a dozen other questions that we didn't even get to today. If you asked one of them and you're going on the retreat, we're going to do Q&A up at the retreat as well. If you're, if you're not able to go, come grab me afterwards and we can chat about whatever your question was. Um, or you, you could just text it to me and have, and have me text it back to you later if you have to buzz. Um, so with that, so thank you, Papua. So with that, I want to send you off with a blessing of a prayer. And we do this every week. And this is my desire to send you off with God's best and his heart for you. So this is what God desires to give you. And will you give back to God? May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Go in God's grace and have a great day.